This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Amen, amen, amen. Oh man, I love being back with you tonight. It's my favorite night of the week. Thank you, Eli. Man, what a guy. All right, we're here for one purpose, only one purpose only. In fact, this is the purpose of our lives. God is not our first priority. He's our only priority. And so just like the purpose of Elevate, the purpose of our lives is to Elevate! Elevate! You've got more than that. Come on. Elevate! That's right. With social media. Elevate! With how we dress. Elevate! With the words that come out of our mouths. Elevate! That's what it's all about. A.W. Tozer says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because how we view God will affect our actions, our words, our thoughts, the very direction and purpose of our lives. And so we have to keep coming back to the grounds of not just studying God's wonderful works, and they are incredible, but we are studying God himself. We're looking at his attributes. This would be this coming series where we start looking at the word of God will be a great opportunity for you to start bringing your Bible, like the physical hard copy of your Bible. If you don't have one, we have them in the snack shop that you can buy. And if you don't have one or any money, I will give you one. I want you to have God's word in your hands. We're going to study who God is, and we're going to study how we got his word. I'm really excited about this next series called Book of Books. This is a great opportunity for you to start taking notes. But tonight we're studying who God is in the mystery of who he is. Mystery. I'm kind of a nerd in that I like mystery novels, and I like mystery movies. But what really makes me different is I don't even try to follow the clues. I just enjoy the ride. Like, I'm not trying to work ahead of the author or the movie. I'm not trying to, like, put things together and, oh, they're definitely the bad guy. I'm just like, sure, reveal stuff as you want. I'm in. Like, let's just go for the ride. So that the, the end, whenever the, the detective shows how it all panned out, I'm just like, what? I didn't even see that coming. That's so cool. I've, I worked my way through uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes novels, and I'm working my way through Agatha Christie. I just read hers, her first one recently. Like, I enjoy mystery. But mystery is only satisfying when suddenly there is an unveiling, right? When, when there's an opportunity that things are put in line to make sense whenever our eyes are open to what was hidden. And we're going to talk about the mystery. The big word is the incomprehensibility of our God. God chooses not to reveal everything about himself. Now, we've talked about God's omnipotence and, and his all-knowingness and how he's everywhere present. We've talked about how he's all-powerful. We've talked about many different aspects of God, but there are elements of God that he has not revealed to us. 
The extent of his nature he hasn't revealed. How the Trinity functions. Like we can't, we can't wrap that in our brains. How salvation works at the cross. This incredible thing of God's wrath being poured out. God's justice and then his grace and his love. And, and how faith and belief and trust and how all these things work together and, and when exactly God is doing those in the lives of believers and, and who starts this thing. And, and all of these are beautiful mysteries that we get to search for our whole lives. God's decisions in the world and in history and why he does them. How he's ordered history, how he's going to end history. His return is all a mystery. Who he's going to save, who he's going to reach out to. Why do we suffer? Why does he allow the difficult things and why these particular difficult things? Our own personal futures, he leaves to be mysteries. And sometimes he gives these glimpses, these, these veiled hints, like the prophetic words in the Bible, looking forward. And often we see God fulfilling them, which shows us that the ones that he hasn't fulfilled yet will come because the God who has been faithful will be faithful. It is from God's incomprehensibility that we see the first sin in the Bible. Like, what did the tempter in the garden say? God has knowledge that you don't have. Wouldn't you like to be more like God and know more like what he knows? Isn't that interesting how Satan at the beginning of time is using God's mystery as a stumbling block instead of an opportunity to stand in awe of who he is? And what happens when Adam and Eve sin, instead of becoming more like God, they actually become less like God because they were perfect and holy with perfect communion and relationship with God. And now they've been distanced through this temptation of trying to know something that God has not revealed. God is mysterious. He is incomprehensible. Psalm 145, 1 through 3. I'm sorry we don't have the projector working yet. The next week week or so, we're going to have this thing cranking again. Again, another excuse to bring your Bibles in hard copy. I'll, have to, I'll read clearly, try to lean in and pay attention so you, can, so you can hear what the author is saying. Psalm 145, 1 through 3. If you're taking notes, jot that down. I will worship you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. This is just pure worship. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. There is no depth. We can spend our whole lives pursuing him, and yet we will never understand the breadth and width and depth of God. Job 26, 10 through 14. I love this. This is so cool. I I spent way too much time researching this. This is so much fun. Listen to this. He, talking about God, has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters. The Greek translation is a sphere on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. Okay, I digress, but allow me. This is so much fun. It was in the 5th century B.C., somewhere in the 400s B.C., that Greek philosophers toyed around with the concept of the earth being round. It was at 240 B.C. that Eratosthenes, Eratosthenes, forget about it, that guy actually proved and calculated the circumference of the earth within 15 degrees of margin, which is amazing. 240 B.C. Now, they have no idea when Job was written. They're they're proposing somewhere between 6 and 800 B.C. But because one, one commentary that I read said that because you don't find the divine name of God in Job, Job may have actually been written before the Exodus, before Moses. 
before God gave Moses his name, meaning that this would have been written before 1440 BC. So there's a chance that a thousand years before Greek philosophers toyed around with the concept of the earth being round, God is speaking saying, he's inscribed the sphere, the circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. That's so cool. And then Isaiah mentions it again, which was a hundred years before those Greek philosophers. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled, he calmed the sea. And by his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Who's Rahab? According to Joe, Rahab is a sea monster. A big and scary sea monster. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. That's talking about Rahab. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So here's these great, incredible, mind-boggling things that we can observe in creation, and yet these are just the outskirts of how mighty God is. They're just the breath, just the whisper of his greatness. Moses, whenever God told Moses, hey, bud, you're not going into the promised land. You're going to die on this side of the Jordan River. Moses comes to God begging God to be able to cross the river. And I love what he says. He says, and I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, oh, Lord Yahweh, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness in your mighty hand. This is Moses. This is arguably next to Jesus, the closest person in relationship to God. He was put in the cleft of a rock and God passed by him and he saw the after effects of God's essence, of his presence, of his being. Moses, it says that God talked to him like a friend. He was so close in relationship to God that when he comes back down, his skin's glowing and people don't understand what's happening. Moses, you're a glow stick. That's weird. And yet Moses says at the end of his life, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness in your mighty hand. God is unsearchable. He is incomprehensible. I love what this author says, Stephen Wellam. He says, in thinking about God's incomprehensibility, especially his knowledge, it's important to remember that God's thoughts are not merely quantitative. I'll explain that in a second. They're not merely quantitative or greater than ours. They are qualitatively different. So that's not to say, if we're talking about God's knowledge, that's not to say a man's knowledge fits in a bottle cap, but God's knowledge fits in this whole room. Because God's knowledge is just so much more. What he's saying here is not, it's not that God's knowledge is just so much more than man's. It's that it is essentially different. It is other. It's not even, you know, you, can't, you have to get off the scale of size into something entirely wholly other. His knowledge is the archetype of all knowledge. It's not just a matter of difference. It's a matter of otherness is God's knowledge. God's thinking is creative in a way we can never be. If I was to say to you, hey, let's do something creative, we will always pull from creation. We'll always create and invent something that we've seen before or put together items of what we've seen before. There's nothing outside of our experience in the world that we can pull from, and yet God, standing, sitting, floating, whatever he does, in nothing, speaks into that nothing and creates all that we see. And so his knowledge is creative on a level we can't wrap our minds around. Create something from nothing. Imagine something from nothing. We can't do it. His knowledge is entirely other than ours. 
And God is incomprehensible for two reasons. One, he is infinite and we are drastically limited. We can't contain in our finite minds the vastness of who he is. But also, out of his sovereign wisdom, he has chosen to withhold things that he hasn't revealed yet. And we should find peace in that. We should find peace in knowing that if it hasn't been revealed to us, we don't even need to know it. God has given us exactly, wholly and completely what we need. I love what John Calvin says. He says, where God closes his holy mouth, I will desist from inquiry. If God hasn't, hasn't talked about it, then it's not something I need to know. I'm happy to rest in what God has revealed. And what God has revealed, those things he has revealed about himself, we're going to spend the rest of our lives searching and still not reach the end. And it's our joy to do it. I love what one author says, that the Bible is so fascinating because an elephant will drown in it, but a baby can swim. Do you understand what that means? That means that someone who never heard about Jesus before can open up the Bible and begin learning about God and grasp a vision of who God is. And yet a scholar that spends their entire life studying the Bible will still never reach its depths. How beautiful is that? That's who our God is. God will eternally, both here and in heaven, remain beyond our complete comprehension. I love what Jesus says in John 3, 8. He says, here's what the Spirit is like. It blows where its wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes or where it goes. That's who our God is. We're never going to be able to grab him and hold on. He is entirely other. Y'all remember I mentioned Job a few minutes ago? Job is in a desperate time in his life. He's lost everything. He's suffering. And he asks God some of our biggest questions. That's what makes the book of Job so compelling. He's asking the questions that we want to ask. And God never answers his questions. In fact, God roasts him for like several chapters. And then ultimately says, Job, who are you to question my decisions? Who are you to question how I order things? Were you there whenever I set into place the laws of nature? Were you there when I created that sea monster, Rahab? Were you there when I formed the mountains or put the goats on it that are dwelling there? And Job's like, uh, no, no, I wasn't. And God's like, so why are you going to question me about how I did it? You didn't have a say. I didn't need your wisdom. And this is Job's answer whenever God challenges him like this. This is Job 42, 1 through 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides? And so Job is actually using his own question. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And it's going to be answered. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job's answer is, I'm sorry, God. I got in the deep end, and I can't swim there. I'm going to have to back it up a little bit. God, you're just too unsearchable. A.W. Tozer says that left to ourselves, listen to this. This is why it's important that we, that we stand in awe at the mystery of God. A.W. Tozer says that left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him, or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God we can, in some measure, control. This is why idols are so attractive. An idol is empty. It's shallow. It has no substance. 
Think about the, the idols they used to create. They would create their own idols, put it up on their mantle, and then worship the idol they created with their own hands. The thing can't hear you. It can't talk to you. You made it. Why are idols so comforting? Because there's something we can understand. There's something that we can wrap our minds around. Why is the idol of money or sex or pride, why is that so comfortable? Because we understand that. It's something that we can control. I can pursue more of those things. With these idols, okay, so if I sacrifice this, I get this, okay, I have control. If I want my crops to come in, I'll sacrifice this animal or this whatever. I have control here. Idols are comfortable because they're of us. You follow me? But God cannot be contained. He is not of us. He is transcendent and above us. Therefore, the higher our view of God is, the lower our view of ourself is, the higher our view of God is, the more incomprehensible he is, the less we have control. Are you following me? We're people who want control. When we recognize who God is, it makes us take our hands off the wheel. Lord, I'm, <laughs> I told this joke to Jackie on Sunday. She totally didn't get it. Have you guys ever ridden on a plane before? And they're like, you know, please do not disarm the smoke detectors in the bathroom, you know, because that's a felony or something like that. Like, really? You're going to jail over a smoke? But anyway, I was like, uh, Pastor Ben said, no, God has to be the pilot. And I was like, Jackie, I need God to be the pilot because I'm not even the co-pilot. I'm in the bathroom dis- dis- disarming the smoke detector. I'm like the sinner that God loves so much that he's taking me along for the destination anyway. I love it. That's us. We want to be able to control something. But for us to recognize that God is wholly incomprehensible is for us to take our hands off the wheel and say, God, I trust you. I trust the mystery, even if I don't see it. Isn't it good that he's incomprehensible? A God that we can manage is a God who's less powerful than we are. A God we can understand whose vision that we share, whose insight we can grasp is a God not worthy of our worship and he's not worthy of our service. For all eternity, we will never exhaust who God is and all of his transcendence, his majesty, and his covenant love through Christ Jesus. That is a God worthy of us to come on our faces and bow down before our creator, our father, who loves us that much who would be so there and yet steps in to wrap his arm around us and say, I love you. The same God whose wrath is against us and says, I love you so much, I will bear the weight of my own judgment. That is the God we serve. So here's your turning point. Here's where I'll, is, this was like when the horse got let out of the gate for me in my research. Our English understanding of a, of, of a mystery is a secret for which no answer can be found. That's a mystery to us. If it's a mystery, it's like, well, it's a mystery. But the Greek understanding, the biblical understanding of a mystery is this. I wish I had it up there. I'll read it slow so you can pay attention. A secret which is being or has been revealed and needs to be made known by God to men through his spirit. So when the Bible talks about a mystery, it is not something that can be unknown. It is a, it is a mystery. It's a secret that is being. It is in the action of. It is a, a dynamic idea, not a static idea. It is something that is being unveiled. This is, when God talks about a mystery, he's talking about the end of the mystery novel when the detective is saying, this is how it plays out. And we are spending our lives in that chapter of God going, and then this works out, and then this works out. And if you'll keep following me, I'm going to show you the next step. 
I'm going to reveal a little bit more of my glory, a little bit more of my greatness. Keep coming. Keep following me. Therefore, to say that God is incomprehensible is to gladly acknowledge that the glorious triune God of Scripture is in a category all by himself. And that as such, he is unfathomable in his nature, knowledge, and works. Get this. However, due to his gracious self-disclosure in general and special revelation, we can know the incomprehensible God. That is our transcendent creator. Get this. If he's transcendent and we're finite, we're tiny, we're small, we have no access to the spiritual realm of our own. We're flesh and blood. This is me. How could we know God? We're hopeless. Unless God himself reveals himself to us. Like that is, you have to grasp that concept. The only way we'll know God is if God extends the grace of the knowledge of himself to us. Richard Sibb says, how shall the finite, us, comprehend the infinite? We shall, I love this, we will not comprehend him, but we will apprehend him. Although he is transcendent, he allows us to capture him. He allows us to have relationship with him. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Who do the secret things belong to? Him. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. We can know everything that he has revealed. And there's several levels of his self-revelation. We can only know him if he reveals knowledge of himself to us. You follow me on that so far? So here are the levels of how he reveals himself. The first level is called general or universal revelation. This is what God reveals about himself through creation itself. Through creation, we see nature, we see its laws, its order, its beauty, the intricacies of our humanity, the natural and moral law that we talked about last week, that there seems to be an objective law within the human creature that that has to be something outside of us in God. We see God's beauty in his creation. His creation's purpose is to point back to him. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Remember, lean in and listen. The heavens declare, as in they're speaking, they're, they're shouting, they're making known, they declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their works to the end of the world. God's creation, his stars, his his nature, his plants, everything is screaming out about its creator. That we we have to actually reject the voices to move forward in ignorance. That's why scripture says that a fool says in his heart, there is no God. When everywhere that we look, we see evidence of that creator. Romans 1, 19 through 20. And this is talking about the wrath of God poured out against sinners. And he says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, is plain to sinners, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his mysterious attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Ever since the creation and the things that have been made, God has been clearly seen, so they are without 
excuse. It will stand before God and God will go, you have no excuses. I put you into a world where everything in it pointed at me. It had to be your heart that rejected. There is no excuse. But as exhaustive as general revelation is, it's limited. Just seeing nature or creation cannot bring us to saving faith. There has to be more. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say you can come to the Father through worshiping the stars or studying the, what's the circle, that the spiral? Oh, man. Fibonacci? Fibonacci spiral? Anyway, another cool thing. Yes, the, the numerical sequence. Fibonacci. Yeah. So there's general revelation, and then there is special revelation. This is when God speaks clearly, directly, and explicitly. Words that we can grab a hold of. He walks earth in a form we can recognize. This is scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Romans 16.25-27 says, the revelation of the mystery. Revelation, as in the mystery is being revealed. It's, it's dynamic. It's happening right now. The revelation of the mystery that was kept for long ages has now been disclosed. It's been unveiled. It's been revealed. And through the prophetic writings, that is scripture, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about what? The obedience of faith. Scripture points to and is directed. It is words we understand. It is actions we can follow. It is law we can, we can understand and wrap our minds around. It is stories we relate to that is pointing to who God is. It's accessible. But Scripture alone doesn't bring us to salvation. We have general revelation. We have special revelation. Special revelation through Scripture. And the second one is through the person, the life, and the work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God was mysterious. No one had ever seen God. And then Jesus becomes the perfect image. doesn't become. He is the perfect image revealing who God is. That's why Jesus can say, whenever the disciples come to him, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll believe. How does Jesus respond? John 14.9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God's revelation of himself. Jesus is God himself walking on the same dirt we're walking on, speaking in the same kind of language we can understand, revealing God's attributes and the way to obey and please him. Jesus is the climax and the purpose of all scripture, of all creation. Jesus is that pinnacle. Everything is pointing to Jesus. He is the perfect and complete self-revelation of God. And through him, we are brought into fellowship with Almighty God. I love what Pastor Matt Carnes at our church said. He said that we see Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is prophesying towards Jesus. We see Jesus historically in the Gospels. We see his life on earth. We see the theology of Jesus in the epistles. The epistles are all about how did Jesus believe? What did he believe? What did he teach us? And we see the eschatology, as in the end times of Jesus, in the book of Revelation. Everything is about 
Jesus. Because Jesus is revealing everything that God wants us to know about himself. That's the beauty and the majesty of the whole thing, is that we can know God. Does that rattle you a little bit? That God, that one, transcendent, big, high, mighty creator. We can know him. We will never know him completely, but he gives us every opportunity to know him truly. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, God is looking towards Jesus. He says, I'm going to send you a new covenant, which is what Jesus is talking about when he says, this is the covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant. God is foreshadowing, pointing at Jesus, and he says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. We are the new Israel, says the Lord. I will put my law, not on stones, not on tablets, not on parchment. I will put my law in their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. This is saying that we're not going to need a Jewish priest or a Catholic priest to intermediate between us and God. Because every one of God's people will know him personally. Do you see the shift there? You see, the Jews, they always had to go to the temple. And they had this priest between them. They had, they had the holy place and the most holy place and the holy of holies. They weren't getting to God in the way that we understand. But he's saying this new covenant, everyone has access. Everyone can know God. God is no longer abstract. He's not limited to a tent or a temple. We don't need a priest. Each of us has full and complete access to know him. John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So not only do we know God, but knowing God is eternal life. That's cool. That is mind-bogglingly awesome. This unfathomable, incomprehensible God can be known. And the knowledge of him gives us eternal life with him to continue our pursuit through eternity. Now, I do want to throw in a disclaimer. Continuing revelation is based on our relationship. When Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of God's perfect and complete self-revelation. God is no longer revealing more things about himself after Jesus because Jesus was it. Everything was pointing to him. All of history points to him. There's not something new that we're going to come up with about God. Now, we will spend the rest of our lives learning what God has revealed through Scripture and Jesus, but there is no new revelation. If someone preaches to you that they have new revelation, you need to walk because then they're getting outside of even what Jesus said. But what we're talking about in this growing, this new pursuit of God, this new growing revelation of himself to us, is we're actually talking about relationship. If I was to talk about my son, Dominic, and I said, as he got closer to, say, eight years old, ten years old, and I said, you know, Dominic and I are getting, we're getting so much closer. I'm not saying to you that he stands closer to me in the room. This is not like measurable proximity. What I'm saying is that our relationship is deepening. Now that he's beginning to understand a little bit more, he's starting to wrap his mind around life a little bit more. We can have deeper conversations. We can have more thorough understanding of where each other are coming from. I can explain to him why I make some of the decisions that I make. He can tell me 
what's going on in his world with words that he didn't have when he was four or five years old. Isn't that the same with our God? As we pursue him, we become closer. He begins to reveal more and more of himself to us so our conversations are deeper. Our love is deeper. And then third, so there's general revelation, special revelation, and the third one is glorified revelation. And that is that we will see him even more clearly in heaven when we shed all of this sinful junk that we're living in and around. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, for right now, we see in a mirror dimly. Then a mirror was just polished silver. You know, it wasn't that great. We see in a mirror dimly, but then in heaven, we're going to see him face to face. Now I know only in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So we have general revelation special revelation, and glorified revelation. And we get to spend the rest of eternity pursuing a God that we'll never fully know. (laughs) It's so cool. Well, the mysteries of God are amazing. God's incomprehensibility brings us to worship in three ways. The fact that he is mysterious and never completely known. The fact that we can't wrap our minds around him. The fact that he does intentionally withhold knowledge from us brings us to worship in three ways. The first one is that we pursue all with all of our hearts, all of our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this question. What is the chief end or what is the purpose of man? What is the purpose of man? Why are we here? It's not 42 for those who are nerds like me. Yeah. What is the chief purpose of man? And it answers the question with a simple answer. Man's chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Soak in that. That's why we're here. We were made to glorify him and enjoy him forever and ever. That gets to be the pursuit of our lives. James 4.8, draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. A.W. Tozer says this so simply and so beautifully. To have found God, to have discovered him, to have found God and still pursue is the soul's, our soul's paradox of love. We have apprehended God and yet we continue to pursue him. That is a love. That is the soul's paradox of love. God's withholding isn't meant to be an unreachable secret. It's just like with my kids, every day whenever I get home, well, not tonight because it will be like 10, but every day when I get home, they come running to me and their expectation is that I'm going to throw them into the air as high as I can. And I have to watch out for ceiling fans. Things don't go well when you toss them into ceiling fans. And when they come running, this is what I do. They'll come running and I'll go, I'll go, come on, 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 come on. And then I'll grab them and I'll throw them up in the air and I'll catch them. I love it because every time I step backwards and go, come on, come on, come on, come on, their smile gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and they run faster and faster. And then I grab them, and it's like, it's like this was all worth it. And I throw them in the air, and they're just like, yay! And Dominic spazzes. I don't know why he does it. It's really annoying. It makes him hard to catch. And then he comes down, and I catch him. And you know what? There's like this beautiful spark of relationship there. We are celebrating the love of a father with his kid. I think that's what God does. I think with us, he's going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then he stops and goes, let me show you something awesome. We're like, whoa, 
celebrating how awesome you are. And then I get to know you. And then he goes, yeah, come on. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Yes, God, you're amazing. You're so worthy of glory. And then he goes, come on, I got more. Keep coming, keep coming. This is the beauty of our incomprehensible God that we continue to pursue our whole lives. And that our joy increases and our minds are blown and we love him all the more with every day. The fact that he's incomprehensible brings us to worship in three ways. The first is that we pursue him. The second is that we walk in faith. We tackled this big time at the end of camp. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible to please God without faith. Romans 1.17, for in it, the righteousness of God, talking about in our salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. His incomprehensibility gives us rest that he's in control when we are not in control. When we don't fully understand why we're going through the situation that we're in, I can rest that God does. I can rest that he sees the end. I can rest in knowing that if I knew everything that he knew, I would make the same decision for my own life. Because his knowledge is perfect and incredible and seen way beyond me. Remember, his knowledge isn't just bigger. His knowledge is entirely other than us. To him... The history is written. To him, it's done. And he's the light of our path as we're going through what's already been set. And so whenever we're going, God, I don't understand. Why is this happening? He he can just say, I'm incomprehensible. Do you trust me? I'm with you. You can know me fully, and I'll walk with you every step of the way. What he has revealed is his goodness. What he has revealed is his care for us. What he has revealed is his justice, his love, his purposes. That's what he has revealed. And if I know that character about God, then maybe I can rest in what he hasn't revealed, like my tomorrow. We worship in three ways because of his incomprehensibility. One is pursuit. Two is walking in faith. And three is that we celebrate his awesomeness. Psalm 145, one through three, I will worship you. Oh God, my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. We stand in awe of a God who is totally unreachable, who kneels down and says, come here, I've got you. I am uncomprehendable, but I am also attainable through my son, Jesus. Who is like our God? We celebrate how awesome, in the very fullness, in the greatest sense of the word, he is awesome. So we pursue him, we walk in faith, and we celebrate that he is an awesome God. Recap, God is unsearchable and transcendent above our understanding. All we need to know about him, he has revealed in general revelation and special revelation. Special revelation is God speaking specifically through Scripture and the life and work of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect and complete revelation of who God is. Through Jesus, God can truly be known. God's incomprehensibility calls us to worship through pursuit, walking in faith, 
celebrating his awesomeness. So here's your challenge for the week. One, if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, if he is calling you tonight, if he's pricking your heart, he's pursuing you, talk to one of our leaders. We have some amazing leaders here. Talk to some of the youth who have been in Elevate for a while that you know just love Jesus. Come talk to me. Come and know this God who has revealed himself to be known. And the second challenge is I want you to answer the question of how can you grow in relationship with him this week? If he would give his life on the cross to have a relationship with us, how beautiful is it that we pursue that same relationship with him every day? Maybe that's throwing yourself completely into studying the Bible. Maybe that's just taking time to be silent and meditate on the things of him. Maybe that's just listening to a podcast. Elevate Student Ministries is a good one. Maybe that's spending time in prayer, putting on worship music. What is it that you do that you are growing in relationship with him? Maybe that's just sitting down and writing a list of all the blessings in your life. Let's be honest. You listed out all the problems enough to God. Let's start listing all the things that are great about him in our lives. Heavenly Father, Oh, you're so cool. I love you, Lord, so much. Thank you, Lord, that you are unreachable, which makes you worthy of being God. And thank you, Lord, that you are attainable through your son, Jesus Christ, in his work on the cross. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room will come to know you as their Savior, as their Master, as their Father. As their Father, who is calling them every day, Come and know me more, and I'll reveal myself to you. Thank you, Holy Father, for your love. I give you tonight. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.